You're listening to What the HR Podcast, Episode 13. I'm Jesse Novi, an HR business partner with CH Robinson. And I'm Mike Toole, Twin City Sherm board member and HR technology consultant for SAP Success Factors. Today, we are talking to Jeremy Ames. He's the founder and CEO of Hive Tech HR. Jeremy's a well-known speaker and has engaged at such events as Unleash Amsterdam, HR Tech Vegas, and Learn Twin Cities. He's frequently asked to provide insights into current trends on HR management and technology and has contributed to such publications as Sherm.org and TechTarget. He has also served as an HR technology expertise panel member for Sherm, and he's on the board of IHRIM. Jeremy, thank you for joining us today. Great to be here, Michael. So before we get into it, can you tell our audience a little bit of background on, on yourself, how you started Hive Tech and you know, high-level overview of, of what you and your company do? Sure. Does? Of course. So um, I'm the CEO of Hive Tech HR. Um, I started the company back in 2010. So, and we are basically an HR technology services firm. We've got a pretty strong presence in the, in the Northeast as well as in the Minneapolis area. Uh, so, I mean, I founded Hive Tech. Uh, I, I was working for one of the HR software vendors, and I founded it with the intent of getting closer to our clients. I felt like there was kind of a, I had reached the limit in terms of what I could offer to our to my clients in terms of adding value. And I felt like having my own company, I'd be able to have even more control and even to have fewer clients that I give more attention to. So that was the initial intent. Great. So as far as what Hive Tech does, um, can you give us a, a brief overview of the different services you guys provide? Sure. Yeah. We, and we break them down into very three very easy to understand service lines. So we've got our strategized service line where we're trying to determine, first of all, if there's a potentially a need for a new system uh, that also includes a lot of the digital transformation work uh, that you're hearing a lot about. And then potentially if there is, if there does indicate a need for new systems, we can step a, a client through the selection process. And then we have our actualized services, which are essentially everything around an implementation. So that's actually what I was doing prior to founding HiveTech was that I was, uh, I was running implementations and then I ran a, a team of implementers. So basically either executing on implementations or working client side to make sure that the most painful uh, projects that anybody probably ever goes through go, go smoother. And then lastly, the maximize phase is essentially you have a system or systems in place. Again, everything centering on HR, the HR space but just getting more out of those systems. So adding new functionality, adding interfaces, um, reporting, anything basically that would improve the systems that our clients already have in place. Absolutely. And I, I'm excited for the interview because I'm in the HR technology space. I know how valuable you, your guys' services are. And I think it's, it's also no surprise to anybody probably listening that oftentimes, you know, you go out, you look for a new system in HR and implementation is not what you thought it was going to be. Um, the actual functionality isn't what you thought it was going to be. It didn't fix all of the issues that, that they were going to have. And I think a lot of that is probably because it isn't set up right or it's not optimized for your exact business. So can you talk a little bit about what the experience your clients have working with HiveTech versus if they're just going at it alone and working with that specific partner? Yeah, I mean, the idea really is, Michael, that a lot of our clients, they don't necessarily do this for a living. So especially things like implementation or system selection, 
you know, you're doing that for a small portion of your, of your career or even your day job. And so since we do that for a living and that's what our focus is, you know, we have people who have been doing this for, for decades. We bring that experience to the table. So all the gotchas in terms of what to look for in a new system, where it's not just looking for the flashiest of the functionality, but it's, you know, looking for things like the right vendor to partner with and, and how do they train and how well does that system get adopted? You know, and then in the implementation phase, it's not just about did I get through it in the four months or six months that it was it was meant to take, but also did I get everything that I was intending to implement as part of that process? So really, that's what we try to offer our clients is is all the the, the background of the work that we've done over the years and making sure that whatever we're doing to support them makes their jobs easier and, and they get through these difficult processes uh, coming out cleaner in the end, basically. Right. Right. Yeah, it's it's interesting too because although it feels like technology's been around for so long, what I've found is that there's still a lot of people out there who have never implemented a new system. You know, I call them maybe even first, second generation users of a system. So it's really going into the unknown for them. And you guys have uh, a, a ton of experience across all different platforms, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, we work with a, a variety of different tools. I mean, obviously, if we're going to play a hands-on role in whatever we're implementing, so if we're going to do actual data conversion or configuration, then then that's where we're certified in a handful of tools. And, but then even beyond that, if we're implementing a tool that we don't have hands-on experience, there's a lot to do with project management. There's a lot to do with change management. You know, there's a lot of, I mean, we've been talking about this a lot internally and even with our clients. There's a lot of points of failure in implementations. And, you know, it, 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 it actually can cost people careers. It's like a very, uh, it's, it's like a deer in headlights type thing when you talk about the person who's never gone through it before. And now they're in the midst of this thing. And they're saying, there's like, you feel like there's no way out of it. It's sometimes it's so challenging. That's kind of the tactical business. You're also very well known in the community as, as a thought leader on this subject. So I want to dig into kind of what you're hearing out there. I want to start with COVID. We're in it. Everybody's talking about it. It's changing the way we work. What are you seeing with within HR and the, the systems that they have in place now that everybody's working remotely or just working differently? Right. I mean, it, it truly is fascinating just in terms of what was happening prior to this. You know, so there was this huge... I'll, I'll just take you through a very quick timeline. So there was like this huge push uh, related to, I already mentioned a digital transformation. And that would, I would call that kind of like the 2018 or 17 to 18 range. And then we went into this mode of um, employee experience became the next, the next buzzword. So employee experience was the next thing that every conference I went to in 2000 in last year had to do with, uh, with employee experience. And then this hits. And so it's, it's like, all the all of what, whatever you put in place leading up to this crisis is being put to the test right now, and and so that's been the most ex- interesting thing to observe. Obviously, there's you know there's a lot of tragedy surrounding what's going on, but from just a, an observational standpoint and being in the midst of these projects, just to see how our clients and and even just talking within the community how well that transformation happened leading up to this, and those who maybe didn't push the envelope far enough are really struggling right now. They maybe don't have a system that's doing what they need it to do. They maybe aren't able to to communicate to their employees as, as successful as they might need to, or they haven't necessarily gone to, you know, a lot of digital transformation has to do with employee documents and having a digital employee record. And if you haven't done that, 
And now you're trying to do all this work remotely. How do you push paper around at this point? So to me, it's really fascinating how far people pushed their current situation, their own situation, and what that meant in terms of how much they're suffering right now, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. I imagine that with employees not being able to walk down the hall and, and ask questions, they have to utilize these systems more and more. And that's exposing some some potential gaps that they had in the past. So if if I'm an HR professional who implemented a system over the last year, two years, whatever you want to call it, there's a certain outcome that you expect when you put these in. Mm-hmm. But lo- looking back on it, how do you know that you've you've met those objectives, um, and that it's it's making the change that you were hoping it would? I mean, there's there's a lot of things. So there's a lot of considerations when you're looking for new systems, and and some of those I, I mentioned earlier, like you're partnering with a vendor, right? A software vendor. And what we're finding as, as the consultants in the situation who work on multiple platforms, vendors are doing different varying levels of, of uh, jobs in terms of keeping up with all the legislation changes. I mean, these, these legislation changes are coming so fast and furious that even like the EEOC is giving guidance on something on May 5th and then revising that like a couple hours later. Uh, and, and some of these things have direct impacts on how, HR systems are supposed to be set up. So who you decided to partner with um, really makes a big difference. And we're seeing how some vendors are just right on top of things and others are taking weeks, you know, and it's a month plus before they integrate changes for FFCRA into their systems. So that's, you know, there's a big checkpoint going on in terms of not just like, hey, does performance management look nice and flashy, but like are the core, is the core HR function being updated by the vendors? So if I'm if I'm going out and I'm looking for something new, is what are some of the common mistakes that you see companies making? Whether it's they're bringing you guys in after the fact because mm-hmm. something didn't go right, or even in the initial evaluation, is are there some common things that happen with companies or what people are looking for in a system that you would want to caution folk? Yeah, I mean this this whole concept of what's going on right now is highlighting the fact that the attraction to the bells and whistles is definitely something that happens. So, you know, the assumption that a core, the, the real heart of a system is just going to work like, Oh, it's, it's an HR technology vendor. Of course they do terminations. Of course they do leave of absence properly. Of course, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't actually match what's going on in the real world. Different systems have a better, better or worse capabilities in those areas. Things like notifications and authorizations and, so that is something that I find, you know, happens at least, especially when we're not involved and when we're involved, we're trying to steer our clients to make sure that in terms of how much they wait, like, you know, what kind of waiting they put on different functionality, that it's the proper amount of waiting. So like payroll, HR benefits, that should be higher weighted. And even if you're, even if you're a company that cares a lot and, and hopefully most, most companies do, you care a lot about talent management, employee development but still you need a core dependable system. And so making sure that the clients focus on that first and then bells and whistles are just kind of icing on the cake. That might be a mixed metaphor. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Um, No, I mean, and that's great. So RFPs, I mean, that's, we see those more and more. Um, You know, I have, mixed reviews on them myself, um, mostly bad, but how many vendors should somebody invite to the table when they're looking for a new solution? 
Yeah. Oh, RFP is the dreaded uh, three-letter acronym <laughs> of the vendors and even in some cases the, the clients who are looking. Um, yeah, we use RFI primarily, Request for Information, because uh, proposals, you know, 500 pages, who has time to fill them out at this point and how much value are they truly adding? So mm-hmm. I have very strong feelings about, you know, making it making the process of system selection not not uh, minimizing it so that somebody just goes out and does a Google search and finds out what's the right system for them, but also not making it overly cumbersome. Um, But in terms of your direct question about how many vendors to bring to the table, you know, we typically look, it's basically a two-step process. We have a whole methodology, but our two-step process is where we start with somewhere in the range of eight to 12 as just a starting point for discussion. How many of those get some kind of an initial uh, an initial RFI to find out some basic information is it kind of varies, but then when you get down to really truly evaluating them, and that's the point at which we tend to do uh, what we call scripted demos, where you're doing side by side functionality comparisons. Mm-hmm. That's really when you're down to like the three to five vendor level. So um, I don't think you can reasonably look at anything more than five vendors. And like even when we're doing five, by the time you're a week or two into that process uh, and you're you're trying to discuss what you saw in that first vendor our our clients are confusing you know they're confusing vendors they're calling one thing that they saw attributing it to one vendor when it was actually a different one so keeping that number manageable is very important yep yeah i mean you start with to your point 10 to 13 or whatever it may be there's going to be some that just get knocked out pretty quick for whatever reason that may be i would imagine Um, Jesse, I know that you you guys were going through somewhat of a transformation. I I, I guess I'm, I'm curious uh, on your side as, as somebody who's on the end user, you know, is any of this resonating with your guys' current situation? You know, I'll be honest. Um, our HR team is massive. We have close to 200 people and we have multiple centers of excellence. So I was not intimately involved in the vendor selection, Um, either at the beginning or kind of towards the end. Um, I know ultimately at the end, it came down to two and there were a lot of stakeholders involved in that final decision. And we just finished our first implementation. We ultimately ended up going with Workday and that implementation um, from my perspective as a business partner who works with the system quite a bit, and then also encouraging my business leaders to work with the system for uh, various reasons, re- reporting from a talent acquisition perspective, from an um, an org chart perspective, from a um, needing to make changes to, to personnel perspective, all of it so far has gone really smoothly. So, um, and I want to get your viewpoint on that because I think Jeremy can shed some light. For somebody like Jess, who's in a big company like that, and not everybody at the company can help make the decision. So when people are looking at these systems, Jeremy, and trying to figure out what's the best thing, not just for the five, six, seven, eight people that are making this decision, but for all of the employees, what are things that they need to consider? I am the, you kind of hit on it even indirectly through the question, which is not making it the decision of that small group of people. And, and I would even extend that, that uh, point to it, not just in incorporating the employees and what they might want, but also you know, we work with a lot of global companies and, and what we're always saying from the very beginning is if you make this, for example, if you're headquartered in the U.S. and you have global operations, if you just make this a U.S. decision, 
and U.S. centric, you're gonna you're going to be alienating all of the different HR uh, functions across the globe. So definitely incorporating the global and and that that concept can be extended to a company that is well distributed throughout the United States even. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the biggest thing is making sure you have as many stakeholders as you need where, but also making sure that that doesn't detract or make it a less um, streamlined uh, process. And then from an employee standpoint, bringing in employees and managers into specific and strategic parts of the process is hugely important. So defining what the requirements are, you can define, you can assume that you know what those might look like from a core, like from a core HR department standpoint, or even if you have the CIO involved uh, and different functions in that core group of six to eight. But until you get those looked at by the people who are out there doing the work on a day-to-day basis, you're not going to know for sure if this is really hitting on on everything that needs to be factored in. So mm-hmm. getting them to weigh in at specific points in the process, uh, maybe even bringing one or two of them into the, to the walkthrough slash demo phase can pay huge dividends in terms of getting that feedback. Yeah. Would it be your recommendation normally, like when you walk into a situation or your consultants do, and somebody's just really upset with what they're currently using, is it, is it important for them to stop and try to make what they have work before they consider going in and ripping and replacing? Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's a, a uh, psychology to just, you know, you're always going to complain about what you have. The gra- it's the whole grass is always greener concept, right? So people always love, and people love to complain about systems. Um, I can tell you that they also tend to love to complain about the software vendors, <laughs> Um, you know, and that's, that's an unfortunate thing. It's just, so in terms of like making sure that there is a business reason for change, it can't simply be, oh, it's cumbersome to do X, Y, or Z, or I don't feel like I have enough training or there's, there's a million different excuses, but until you've exhausted all possibilities, it doesn't make, it's a huge investment. I mean, you're investing not only in whatever increase in, in the price of the product or, you know, in the, in a, SaaS-based world, whatever that per employee per month could go go up, obviously. But then it's also the initial outlay for the implementation. So, you know, there's a whole ROI analysis that we tend to do just to prove out the fact that there's actually a business reason for change. And that's, I wouldn't call it a last resort, but you should be looking at what can you get more out of your current systems before you necessarily switch. Jeremy, on that same note, um, I anticipate that our situation at CH Robinson is potentially not very different from other organizations where prior to our larger implementation, we were leveraging multiple systems to accomplish various things within our Mm -hmm. HR department. Would you do a similar analysis like that with your employees to determine if a you know, overall more holistic program would be ideal to meet their needs versus maybe replacing one or two systems versus all of them, for example? Yeah, that's always part of the analysis. I mean, it's the whole tech stack um, versus full suite, you know, so it's where you're looking at best in breed solutions in each different area versus, you know, maybe sacrificing functionality just to have it all in one place. That's That's been a concept and trend. It's kind of ebbed and flowed over the years in terms of which direction people are heading. But when we're going through this process and you're trying to find out 
how important, for example, is the applicant tracking functionality and how, how important is the performance management or, or all those things are, are either met or not, not met by the different solutions out there. And if, if for example, you have an extremely in-depth requirements in compensation management, then most likely the comps, comps um, functionality within a full suite system may not meet your needs. So in that case, you would have to look for something outside of that to do comp. And then you're, then what you're trying to look for is not only, you know, can we handle all the comp compensation components we need and the process uh, with the comp managers, but also how well could that be integrated with, with what, whatever the core system is. How much of the consulting that you guys do is talking about where the company is going to be in three years from now versus where they're at right now? And how much consideration do people need to take into when they select something or build it out, uh, implement it, kind of go where, where they're going versus where they're at right now? You should always be looking into the future. I mean, even for the simple fact, if you're not looking three years out, it, the implementation life cycle can take anywhere from I would say four to twelve months, and sometimes even longer if you're if you're dealing with some you know lots of functionality and robust systems that are for enterprise uh, size clients. So no matter what, from the moment you start thinking about what system you want until you're actually using it, is enough time that you should be factoring that into what your future needs would be, right? Uh, and then. You know, we've seen that the way of the world can change on a dime. Uh, so the need for, for example, for all this remote functionality somehow embedded into an HR system wasn't something that maybe was a, enough of a focus six months ago. So trying to think about what that next thing could be, what that next event or, you know, what, where, is the, where are the trends heading should always be, fact, should always be factored into your buying decisions, basically. And that's what we try to, we try to bring that to the table with our clients and, and not just like industry wide, but you really should be doing kind of this, we, we take our clients through this SWOT analysis where we're looking at the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, both on the business side of their organization, as well as on the people management side and trying to find that intersection. And when you're doing that, you're not only looking at what, you know, what current markets are you in from a business standpoint, but where are we thinking of expanding? and then in, Translate, translating that into, okay, well, then what type of um, HR functionality do we need in our systems in the future? So systems are built on best practices oftentimes, and, and a lot of systems have a lot of functionality that, that's in there. Um, but talk about how a business should maybe incorporate the best practice of the system versus what their process looks like internally. That's a great, great question, Michael. And that's, uh, that's something over time that, that, you know, maybe if you had asked that question eight years ago, the answer would have been, or my answer would have been, that's uh, baloney. Like, no, it's, it's up to the vendors to morph their system into how the clients do their business. And if it's not matching, then you got to, you have to customize, you know, that, that has changed the, the world of SaaS, the world of uh, cloud-based solutions has completely flipped that on its head. So at this point, it is up to the, to the end user to try to morph. And they don't even really have a choice at this point. You, you basically have to morph what you do into some semblance of what you're buying. And that's why the buying process is, is even more important now because you're not going to get it to, to do as much as maybe you could before. I think the, the only thing I will say as an exception to that is certain systems are better in terms of mod modifying, for example, 
or creating custom workflows, right? Or making it easier to easier to add custom fields or custom forms, right? Right. right. Um, but more anything more than that, like the days of PeopleSoft where you can write everything net new are over basically. So, so that is something that, you know, you really, you do have to put a lot of trust and faith into what these software vendors have, have built as a best practice. And then if, if your business is different enough, then yes, you have to find the ones that have solutions that can at least bend to make, if they can accommodate 80% of what you need out of the, out of the gate, you want to find the solutions that can at least get you up to 85, 90, depending on how, you know, variable your business is. Yeah. So you see a lot of these decisions being made as it's a, it's a group effort. Everybody has different opinions. Um, they all want certain things and recruiter wants one thing. Compensation wants another. If, if I'm listening to this podcast and I'm in charge of the project, somebody needs to lead it how do I manage that process to make sure that the business is getting what they need versus individually? Yeah. And, and so we perform that role, but I know obviously there are companies out there that are making, either making their own selections or, you know, so, so the advice that I would give as far as what we do is we actually just, we really make it more, oh, what's the right word, more about the numbers, more, um, less, less subjective, I guess is, so it's, it's truly, if you have it in such a way, for example, that, so we use a system to actually do it. Uh, it's, it's called Select Hub, but it's, it's kind of like a, a system that has a calculation that says, okay, we've agreed that talent acquisition is weighted such and such versus compensation management. And then we all go through and we rate the system. How well does it do in these particular areas? And then you add on layers of, of decision-making in terms of how important is cost. And how important is the way that the cut the vendor delivers on support? That's going to all point to a, a rating, a number, right? And if you have a number that says the system that theoretically does better on comp than it does on recruiting, the the system that does better on comp is just it's going to win on the face of it. There's still going to be dialogue. You're still going to have to, as an organization, decide that's the right one. It's not like oh, it's this one got a 94 and this one got a 93. So we have to go with the 94. But my point is you're taking away the human element and the influence. And you're really just boiling it, that, boiling it down to what's better for the company, not the individuals on the project. Right. Right. Yeah. When I, when I asked the question, I didn't even think, but that was, yeah, that was a good plug. That's <laughs> that, that's what you guys are there for is, is to help with that. But um, it, it is important to remove the bias. And I mean, speaking as, as somebody who's been in the industry for, you know, nine years, um, give or take, it's, we are, I mean, whether it's past experiences or marketing or just mm -hmm. personal relationships, like there, it can, it can cloud your judgment. And so having somebody that can step in and look at it from a, a numbers perspective, as, as you put it, what sort of things are, when you're working with a client, what sort of things are you guys taking into consideration? Are, are you guys looking at past experiences or, or how are you removing that bias completely? I mean, again, we're boiling it down to what the vendors are capable of and, and listening a lot to our, uh, what the vendors are capable, capable of, but also listening to what's important to our clients mm -hmm. and knowing, you know, just based on our experience, what makes a, a client or a customer 
successful on a particular tool, we're bringing that those those that insight into the process. So, um, you know, it can be, it should be, and can be an objective process. So, an example of something that you've probably seen, and this happens a lot, is again past experiences. So, somebody used to use such and such a vendor, mm-hmm. and they had a bad experience, and now they're sitting in that room, and they're an influencer in this process. But then you you go through the process and it turns out that that's the solution that actually makes the most sense for the organization. Right. You know, how do you remove that person's experience from, from the picture? Mm-hmm. And again, it goes back to, well, th- that's where the numbers come into play. And if, if they decide they, meaning the, if a company decides to choose a system different from the one where everything is pointing because, you know, Bob, the CIO decided that he didn't like his experience with, I'm not even going to name a vendor cause that'll get somebody in trouble, but uh, you know, had a bad experience, then they, that's on them. Like, so six months to a year down the road, if that vendor doesn't work out, you're always going to know that they went the wrong, they went a different direction based on personal opinion, as opposed to, you know, what's, what's reality. Mm-hmm. With HR technology evolving so rapidly. Uh, I, I know that we talked a lot about COVID right now. We're kind of stuck in that, but looking towards kind of the future, you mentioned experience management was the big thing last year and and probably still is this year, but are there some other things in the technology space that you're seeing that, you know, are worth recommending to clients or, or listeners? Yeah. I mean, I know, so the the topic of uh, workforce analytics, for example, analytics just overall, uh, it got a lot of play and I, and I say play just because I'm in the industry and I, I pay attention to what everyone's talking about, but, that was like the 2014 to 16 conversation and, you know, big data and bringing that into the, into the HR space. I feel like there was a little burnout from a, from the standpoint of workforce analytics with some, especially some of the smaller companies who are just kind of like, I'll never attain that, you know, we're just trying to keep our people paid and, and, you know, produce our headcount reports. We don't really have the time or energy to, to do more than that, but I feel like that's coming back to the forefront of things, especially with what's going on with COVID and all this employee movement and, you know, putting people on leave and furloughs and, and now bringing people back and hire and rehiring them. And there's going to be a lot of emphasis on how things looked in the organization point in time, how the organizations were able to pivot and address, you know, these, these crazy times and, and to change their workforce to meet those that maybe a changing of demand or a, or a manufacturing plant that got shut down. So it's going to put a lot more emphasis on the analytics component of just employee movement, uh, where people are sitting from a human standpoint, like physical locations. Uh, so that I do see that being an upcoming trend is trying to get a better grasp on that, especially since, as we talked about, some a lot of a lot of companies are using a variety of different uh, tools. So making sure that you can pull all that data into one, one location and actually perform the analytics on your, on your HR data in mm-hmm. one place is, is going to become a trend. So uh, as we kind of wind down here, I, I do want to help our listeners understand because there's a lot of people looking into this kind of, kind of thing. So tell me, or I guess tell listeners if, if they are going down this path of whether it's optimizing or searching for a new vendor, what are some things they should consider as to whether or not they should use a hive tech or somebody to help remove some of the biases or just help them understand things they don't know? 
I mean, I've, I've just, we've, we've been brought into enough situations where, and this isn't about high tech, it's about just having expertise, right? And, and so we've been brought into enough situations where there wasn't any kind of even just third party expertise brought to the table. And there's just so many ways that this can go wrong. You know, uh, we get brought into implementations that are mid flight and it's like, you know, people can lose their jobs. We've seen people lose, lose their jobs. I'm not going to be specific, but you know, if things don't go well, it has that kind of a drastic impact or, you know, you're investing in a system and we find out that, a system that was was put in place a year and a half ago is now being replaced because their selection process was was crap. If you pardon mm-hmm. my French, so so that's the kind of thing where whether it's us, whether it's you know one of our peers. I actually um, I'm I'm on this board of uh, well, sorry I'm on the membership committee of this thing called the Advisor Collective, and it's a collection of firms like mine. So I'm very close to what everyone's doing in this type of industry. So if you use one of them, if you use one of us, I think just overall, you're better off and you're lowering that chance of failure, basically. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Cause there are so many points of failure and there they have, it's not just a financial thing, but you know, there's legal troubles you can get into from a compliance standpoint. If you really didn't look closely enough at the vendors in terms of how they handle compliance, we get into situations, you know, that are just really not pretty. Mm-hmm. And you guys are national. You have you guys work all around the country. We do, yeah. We we have, like I said, we have that concentration in the Northeast. And you know, I love coming out to the Minneapolis area. I've spoken at the Learn Conference a bunch of times, and I come out there to meet the team. But yeah, so Minneapolis, uh, Boston area, and then we have consultants elsewhere as well. Great. And then, how would people get in contact with you or your team? So um, they can call us. So uh, that's one thing. It's uh, 844-HIVETECH, H-I-V-E-T-E-C. Um, we have this new feature on our website, hivetechhr.com, where you can chat with us. So that's kind of cool. Uh, we get a little, somebody on the team gets a little notification pop up. Um, and then obviously you can email us, info at hivetechhr.com. We try to make ourselves easily accessible, as you might imagine. And chatbots, another thing that is being utilized heavily into HR systems we didn't touch on? No, there's a lot. Geofencing, there's, I mean, I was only, you asked for one thing. So there's a lot of things going on that, you know, maybe some other time we can talk about. Absolutely. Jeremy, are you on LinkedIn? And and if so, how can people find you on LinkedIn? I am on LinkedIn. And if you just search on Jeremy Ames, I don't know what my URL is, but yeah, you, you should be able to find me on, on LinkedIn, you know, so I try to stay active. I, I go to the conference circuit. I've spoken at a bunch of different conferences. Um, you know, I used to be on the board of IRAM, which is how I got connected to the Learn organization. And I uh, was on actually Sherm's HR management and, and technology expertise panel for a bit. So um, big believer in what Sherm is capable of as well. Great. Well, that's, that's Jeremy Ames, founder and CEO of Hive Tech HR. Jeremy, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Michael and Jesse. It was great talking to you guys. Thanks, Jeremy. Take care. Yep. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of What the HR. If you want to hear more episodes like this, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're listening through now. If you enjoyed the podcast, do us a favor and share with your network, your boss, or your CEO. Help us get this podcast in front of anyone who wants to know what HR looks like when done well. 
Also, if you have any questions for show topics or people you'd like us to interview, please email Mike and I at podcast at tcsherm.org. That's podcast at tcsherm.org. If you want to find out more about Twin City Sherm or our upcoming events, please visit our website at tcsherm.org. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And finally, if you're not already a member of Twin City Sherm, please use code WHATTHR at checkout to receive $20 off your membership. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode.